Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to continue with what our emails have been telling you is the greatest sermon ever told as we take a look once again in Matthew chapter 5. And a quick note about what is known as the Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew's chapter 5 through 7, is it would seem that at times Jesus is speaking at times to the large crowds and at other times just to his disciples, sometimes for the crowds or the whole world, and sometimes for his disciples or those that would follow him. Who you are talking to and when you are talking, I think, is important. And in our text today, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. We can interpret that as those who are gathered there, more than likely the twelve, probably some others, and a few of the women. Really, he is speaking to his disciples, all those who would follow him. And some say this is him trying to frighten his disciples into doing good works. Others, that this is just an opportunity of what could be if you would just do. But to me, what Jesus says here is a promise. When it comes down to it, this Sermon on the Mount matters because of who gave it, who spoke it. See, when Jesus taught, he taught with authority. He taught with power. He did teach in a way that used metaphors or similes, parables, other ways too. He taught with a full understanding of the Old Testament, with a full understanding of the heart of God. And he taught in a way in which his words bring change. He speaks, it happens. He says, reach out your hand and be healed, and it's done. He says, pick up your mat and walk, and the man does. He says, your sins are forgiven, and they are. And so as we turn to the word now, his words for us, I'd love for you to imagine Jesus looking at you in love as he does when he speaks to us, looking you right in the eyes as he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We are as disciples of Jesus, the salt of the earth, called to be salt in our families, our community, to the world by Jesus, by God himself. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Not a slogan, not some clever idea that man came up with, but Jesus himself spoke it about us. Now, salt is one of the most familiar things in the world, you know. In the times when Jesus spoke these words, salt was used as payment to the Roman officers for their service to Rome. This salt payment, salt money, was called salarium, and it's where we get the word salary from, which is cool if you're into how words came to be, but for the others of us, who knows how words are formed? But not only was salt used in this instance as a reward, but it could also be used for the other end of the spectrum. For example... After a city had been destroyed, they would sprinkle salt everywhere, ensuring that the crops couldn't grow and that the land couldn't be used again. 
And somewhere else on that spectrum, salt was used as a preservative for food, used to enhance flavor. Perhaps you've heard this, because the bottom line is there could be a lot of things he is meaning, and no doubt over the years, and in our own understanding, we've heard a few of these reasons, tried to make sense of what Jesus is speaking about so that we can somehow exchange meaning for purpose and power and promise. So why does Jesus, who himself is the light of the world, call us light of the world, call us salt of the earth. Why does he do this? Because no matter how familiar we are, no matter how common salt is, no matter what purpose it serves in this earthly life, friends, there is power in the proclamation that Jesus speaks to each one of us. So I went on a journey of salt discovery. To better understand this promise, this calling that Jesus has given to us so that we could be able to work this out in our own lives. I went into my Bible word commentary. Do you have one of those? No, you just use Google. Me too. I do that as well. But I went there to see if salt was anywhere else in the Bible. How was salt being used? Maybe that might enlighten us to something Jesus is saying here. And I started with thinking about creation because, you know, water There's a lot of water. It's called the ocean. Salt. Found nothing. Does not mention salt in the ocean. He didn't say I sprinkled some in there. I checked out the Daniel diet. Does anybody remember that? Nobody's even moving their heads. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. I don't know what it is. It didn't include chips, salsa, and guacamole. So it uh, wasn't a diet I wanted to try. But I finally broke through in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 2, salt was used in one of the offerings that the Israelites would give. In fact, the offering wasn't allowed to be given without salt. Now, as a brush up, there are different types of offerings, right? There's the burnt, the grain, the fellowship, the sin, the guilt offerings. Salt, as it turns out, was offered and added in the grain offering. Now, the grain offering was not an offering of atonement or one given because you sinned, needed forgiveness. The grain offering was a free will offering. It was an offering of worship. No specific amount was required or even indicated. It was simply an acknowledgement of the provision of God in your life. So you couldn't grow grain in the desert, so it was a rarity. And salt, well, salt was like money. And to give up these two things took faith. You had to look at your life and say, I know that I'm forgiven by God. I'm part of this community. And when I give grain, I give out of my first fruits and I trust God to do what he does. He gives, so I give. You are the salt of the earth. And maybe your prayer or your practice for this week is to freely give. If we take Paul seriously in Romans chapter 12, he says that your whole life is an offering to God and we must give. Give someone a second chance, give grace, give your time for someone who needs it, give without expecting something in return. We may not get to ever see that child we sponsor in Africa or play on the playground with them, but we certainly can still give to support them. We may not get to sit down with the family who receives groceries from us, but we certainly can give them an opportunity to eat. 
We can give the caregiver a rest by dropping off the meal or helping watch their children. It would seem that perhaps if we connect salt to this offering, it means we are to give. That the purpose and power of Jesus calling you salt was to make sure that you do like he does and give. He gave himself on the cross and we give wholeheartedly without holding back for him and for others. Maybe today or sometime this week we find time to sit down and speak the words of the Lord over ourselves and say, I am the salt of the earth and this is what I am going to give today. Kept going and I found in numbers that salt was used in binding covenants. They called them salt covenants. Two are mentioned in the Bible, both regarding God's promises in the Old Testament. One from God to his priests, the family of Aaron. The other from God to David in his eternal reign of David's family. Which becomes pretty exciting and very interesting to think about when we recognize that Peter called us holy priests and Paul tells us that we're heirs to the kingdom of heaven. In the ancient Near East, when two parties would come together, it was salt that was used to bind the deal, to show the friendship between the two parties. They used it in marriages to unite the families. The salt showed that there was no going back. Bottom line is, salt of the earth, well, we're in this for life. This covenant, this promise is one that does not break. For you are the salt of the earth. And maybe sometime this week, maybe your prayer or your practice is just to once again stop, close your eyes, and remember who you are. To let go of those things you are so desperately trying to control, so holding tight of and speak the words over yourself that I am the salt of the earth and my Lord Jesus Christ himself gave his life for me. And that by his death and his resurrection, by my baptism and what I receive in his meal, I have been united to him, bound to him. He is mine and I am his. But there's that part that says, what if you lose it, if it loses its saltiness, if you forget about it, you walk away from it, what good are you? Salt doesn't lose its saltiness, doesn't expire, unless, of course, you add something to it, you change it, you pollute it, you add some chemical and mix it. Maybe that's his way of saying, unless you take what was spoken over you and you hold it dearly, if you let other voices get in the way, watch out. And that's very scary, isn't it? to lose your saltiness. You may start to think that the covenant depends on your effort, on what you do. Well, thank God for foolish Galatians because what we learn in foolish Galatians here in chapter three is this. Who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. It's almost as if he went there and spoke nothing but Christ crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you foolish Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, 
are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When it comes to this binding contract, when it comes to being united with Jesus, don't be foolish and spend your time looking at what you have done or have left undone. Always and only look to the cross, for it is by grace you have been saved. And remember that what he did for you there never changes, nor does your calling. So many people wondering what they're here for, what does it all mean, pondering so much, we know because he has revealed to us that we will still struggle and fail and we will wait for him to return and we may have doubt, but the covenant and the promise that he makes to us does not change. And then I came across the story of Elisha. Elisha was the prophet to follow. Elijah, very good. Talk about big time expectations. And yet when Elijah is taken to heaven, it's Elisha who is left to continue the work that he had started. And the first thing that happens is the people come to him, they bring him and say, here is our city. The town is well situated, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. So he asks for a bowl and he puts salt in it. Blesses it, or rather asks God to bless it. Tosses it into the stream and the water becomes pure. And I like this one because it makes me think of when Jesus is calling you the salt of the earth. And not too long after this, he's going to be on a mountain again, only this time he's about to ascend. And at that time, he will say, salt of the earth, I'm tossing you to the very ends of the earth. You might remember it as sending. He does this not to make this earth perfect or without sin or to make the earth worthy but he sends us out to make sure that we, his salt, bring life and hope and love to his earth, to bring value and to give freely just as he has done for each one of us. Because every day, every hour, every minute, there are dark, harmful things, powerful things, corrupting things and spoiling things, working to destroy whether through violence, materialism, poverty, relativism, the list can go on and on. But it is Jesus who speaks and says, you are salt and you I am sending. And when we fail to be that salt, the world suffers. But when we imitate, when we do as he says and we love and we offer mercy and generosity, the world then, he says, sees our good deeds and glorifies our Heavenly Father. He says when we are generous with our lives and we open up to others, we prompt people to then open up to God, to see the generous Father. So together, as his church, young and old, contemporary, traditional, united, the salt does its work. Not isolated, not hiding in their phones, but sprinkled into this earth to do what Jesus calls us to do. Not supposed to be an option. Jesus says it. Salt of the earth.
And believe me, if you're sitting there saying, I'm not ready to be this salt, I, I'm just me. What possible difference could I make? I, I don't have it all together. I'm not good enough. The last question I have for you is, who told you that? Who said you aren't good enough? Because these are the words of your Jesus, the Creator, the Redeemer. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And sometimes you do need to get ready, sure, but realize that no one is complete. None of us possess all the things we need to do in order to be called. But God sees your unreadiness and meets you and says, together, together we go. He does not take us where he doesn't go before us and he doesn't take us where he does not stay with us. When Peter fell down and said, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner, Jesus didn't respond, what? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, if you'll go do these four things, then I can come back and call you. He looked at his disciple and he said, you, don't be afraid. I am calling you this now. And you will do this now. And I hope you will hear the same message. That Jesus calls you the salt of the earth. This is what you are. And this is what we do. Amen.